You're listening to the Legal Talk Network. Hello, I'm Bob Ambrogi. And I'm Monica Bay. We've been writing about law and technology for more than 30 years. That's right. During that time, we've witnessed many changes and innovations. Technology is improving the practice of law, helping lawyers deliver their services faster and cheaper. Which benefits not only lawyers and their clients, but everyone. And moves us closer to the goal of access to justice for all. Tune in every month as we explore the new legal technology and the people behind the tech here on Law Technology Now. Hello, this is Dan Linna. Welcome to Law Technology Now on the Legal Talk Network. My guest today is Katie DeBoard, the Global Chief Innovation Officer at Brian Cave Layton Paisner. Katie is also the co-leader of Cantilever, Brian Cave Layton Paisner's legal operations consulting group. Katie, welcome to the show. Thank you, Dan. Before we get started, we want to thank our sponsor. Support for this podcast and the following message comes from Thomson Reuters, Westlaw Edge. Thank you, Thomson Reuters. All right, well, Katie, so you're the Chief Innovation Officer at uh, Brian Cave, Layton, and Paisner, or should I say BCLP? I guess that's a little bit of a mouth, mouthful. I don't know what the... BCLP uh, seems to be easier for most people. <laughs> okay. Chief Innovation Officer at BCLP. Can you, can you just tell us more about that role, what your responsibilities are, what you're doing? Yeah, and it's it's funny because I you know I originally took this role for Brian, Legacy Brian Cave in 2015, and if you were to see a job description that I, I would write in 2015 as to what my role was, I, I guarantee you it morphs about every month, if not every day. But I you know on a global level, what I would say is that you know I think as innovation, uh, changing your products and services figuring out better ways to solve your clients' problems um, really is becoming more of a matter of strategy. And um, when people ask what I do, I find myself more and more saying that I'm part of building the firm's strategic vision for how it should be working, how it should be delivering client services, and frankly, how um, our attorneys should be thinking about that client service delivery so I, I touch both um, the solutions end of things. I obviously co-lead our entity that um, works with law departments to solve legal operations solutions um, and, uh, you know, think forward about where we should be um, operating and how we should be doing it. Well, how would you describe your kind of your mission and vision as the chief innovation officer, right? Like, what are you aiming to accomplish for your firm? Yeah, I mean, I think very simply, our firm needs to stay aggressively relevant in solving our clients' problems and understanding how to do that. First of all, understanding the problems as they exist today, not um, two years ago, and knowing the best way uh, to solve those problems, really helping our clients meet their objectives. Um, And, you know, at a high level, that's what my role is. Okay. What would you say are some of the key initiatives that you have going on right now? You mentioned a couple of those in just describing your role, but you know, what are the, the kind of the things you're really focused on moving the needle on? So the firm back in 2015 uh, launched a legal operations consultancy division that you referenced. It's now renamed Cantilever. 
And that launch was really uh, the recognition that for a long time, the firm had been through um, isolated engagements, working with law departments to solve legal operations problems. And the firm had been doing that before I think legal operations was even a term. And over time, you know, we we developed the technical um, expertise. We developed the technical expertise uh, to build proprietary technology for our uh, clients, um, but also just the understanding of law departments, where their challenges were, what their objectives were. So that ultimately became um, the rebranded entity Cantilever through the merged firm. And where we are now is we have, you know, if you're thinking about a pyramid, um, we have legal operations at the bottom. And then the next layer of legal service delivery really is that routine legal work where, you know, most of our clients have a lot churning, a lot to manage, where efficiencies are most needed, where technology, frankly, can be most relevant. And then at the high end, you have that complex advisory work. And having built out the legal operations expertise, what we're really trying now is to create a streamlined end-to-end service offering for our clients so that we can help them from the legal operations challenge through the routine legal work all the way to the complex advisory work in a streamlined, highly efficient fashion. Well, I think this idea of having an affiliate organization that works with legal departments is is really interesting. And there are a couple of firms doing things like that. Uh, Before we dive into that a little bit more, I think an interesting question is we've kind of viewed for a while, it seems like legal operations and corporate legal departments as different than legal operations in law firms. I mean, it kind of seems there's convergence there. Or do you think there's a, a difference really in the way we ought to think about what is legal operations? So it's interesting because I agree that some people think of legal operations in law firms as really the operational arm of, of the law firm, the COO, at least that's what I've come across. When we talk about our legal operations solutions division, we're truly talking about working directly with client law departments and helping them solve their most common problems. So contract management, lease management, matter management, the stuff that you know law departments over and over say, this is out of control, or this is interfering with my relationship with the business, or this is preventing me from being part of revenue growth for the business because we have these sticking points. That's where our division works. I have heard the term legal operations used in a different way. That's not how we use it. Okay. So there's more and more talk about innovation really across the legal industry. And I think a lot of people have different ideas about what should or shouldn't count as innovation inside of law firms. I mean, how do you go about really defining it or using that terminology and maybe even thinking about how you use that terminology in in different settings? That's a good question because I do think that the term innovation, it can do one of a couple of things depending on who is on the receiving end of that term. You know, one is that it can can spark creativity and excitement because it connotes thinking about things in a different way and solving problems in a different way and applying creativity. To another person, it sounds trite and cliche and like a word they hear a lot, but they don't really know what it means. 
And to another person, it sounds wildly intimidating because they think it means really big things. They think that in order to innovate, they have to develop uh, the Uber for legal service. And so what, what I try to do a lot is change the vocabulary um, depending on who I'm speaking with, because if you start talking to people about how they can reframe their conversations with their clients to understand their clients' problems in a different way and then think about different ways they can solve those problems, that's innovation. You don't have to use the word in order to do it. And that's the kind of conversation that really I found, you know, resonates with certain lawyers and, you know, is a good way to think about it. You know, to answer your question very bluntly, I think innovation is anything where you're making your products or service delivery better. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense to me. I mean, I do hear people sometimes say that, well, one of the problems is is that there is uh, maybe hype around certain things where people are, even just project management, for example, some law firms saying, oh, well, we're doing project management. But when you look into it, you find out, well, they, they scope matters <laughs> at the beginning, <laughs> but is there really actually project management through the process? Right. No, right? Different examples like that. And, you know, so calling out the hype, but I still think that doesn't diminish the fact that in the legal industry, it is innovative to think about improving processes, think about using project management. The fact that they have been doing that for a long time in other verticals doesn't make it less innovative. Well, maybe it's a little less innovative, but it's still, it's innovation. It's work that needs to be done in our industry. Yeah. And I think people really get stuck or not all people, but I do think that some people get stuck when they think in order to be innovative, I have to do something big or it has to be something that involves technology. And it doesn't have to be big and it doesn't have to involve technology. Yeah. Katie, can you tell us a little bit about your team? There's lots of talk about the need for allied professionals in the legal industry to to help us innovate. How about your team? What does it look like? Sure. And, you know, I think our team has evolved over time. And certainly since the merger, we've been able through the merger to have a lot of expertise, you know, augmented um, through, you know, as with the combined firm. Um, we have on uh, the one side, we have the cantilever team, which was which was part of what we consider our innovation teams. And Chris Emerson and I co-lead that team. That team is, um, it has data analysts, it has software developers, it has um, people who you know, are highly skilled in understanding legal operations challenges, you know, the common legal operations problems and working with clients to solve those problems. And then we have what we kind of colloquially call our core innovation team, which is uh, a group of about six people who work directly with our attorneys across the world um, to help them understand what we're doing, that internal engagement and communication is absolutely critical, and I want to come back to that in a second, but help them understand what we're doing, work with our attorneys to identify solutions to their client problems, um, help stitch together maybe a solution that is a potential cantilever solution and you know, get everybody talking and working together. And so that's really how, at a high level, how we're structured. 
Well, you're in an interesting spot to think about kind of maybe the way legal services delivery might differ here in the U.S. versus, say, in the U.K. because of the mm-hmm. merger. There's this kind of general consensus that some of the U.K. firms are out in front of the U.S. firms. I mean, wh- what would you say about that? You're right that it's been interesting and really cool in some ways because I think in, in some ways the U.K. market is, because it's so congested, it has forced the U.K. law firms to do things differently and to innovate at a more rapid pace and a more pressured pace than I would say historically, you know, has been foisted upon the U.S. firms. What has been interesting is that the both legacy firms have a strong history, really strong history of innovation and commitment to it. And I would say from the legacy BLP side and just the U.K. side, we were considered kind of an anomaly in the in the U.S. market by them in terms of how much we were doing and, you know, where we were focused on. Um, I think it was naturally, the merger was naturally a good fit for a lot of reasons, but one of them was because we really were focused um, from the U.S. side on these issues and on legal innovation. You mentioned also, Katie, that part of your role is is training lawyers. Can you tell us a little bit about the training that you're providing to lawyers around innovation? Yeah, yeah. It's funny because in about an hour, I'm about to go talk to our new associates about innovation. And so the firm has a learning and development team that's amazing. And I work closely with them on on innovation and and helping to think through what our associates need to be trained and when, and and also new partners. You know, I think it depends on the level of the associate, how you get them thinking about these issues. I would say that not every associate comes in the door having a working understanding of legal innovation, what's happening in the marketplace. And so there's there's some buildup that needs to occur with developing that groundwork. I think it's important to get their brains, you know, when you're a new associate, you're drinking from a fire hose and you're busy and you're solving a typically a partner's crisis that is typically a client crisis. And so getting them even little nuggets to think about you know, beyond their immediate crisis to the ultimate goal of solving, identifying and solving a client's problem um, is probably my, the most important goal that I have when I'm talking to the new associates. When they get a little bit older um, or down the line, we have what's called the Business Academy, um, which has been around on the Brian Cave side for some amount of time. And the Business Academy really is a combination of teaching, um, you know, legal operations principles, understanding the client's perspective principles, and also teaching, you know, these concepts of multidisciplinary legal service delivery. You know, what does it mean to use process technology and people to stitch together a solution that better solves the client problem that you have? Um, and depending on their uh, seniority, the coursework and, and what we do during that training program varies a bit. Um, but those are, you know, at a high level what we try to teach them. Well, Katie, I noticed you said that not all uh, new associates have a background in legal innovation. Uh, I would guess that probably most uh, new associates are kind of surprised when you start talking about the need to innovate in, in the legal space. What do you think law schools ought to be doing in this space to prepare 
their graduates? It's interesting because I've asked this question of our new associates every year since I started in this role. And I would say that the numbers have gone up modestly, but you are absolutely correct that the majority really haven't, you know, had the kind of coursework that we're talking about or, you know, the, these ideas exposed to them that the way that law is delivered to clients can and should change. <laughs> um, yeah, and it's, and it's a lot, if you think about it, trying to, to lay the groundwork or tell them everything in one day is, is impossible. It really is something that needs to be stitched into them. I don't know how else to say it. It needs to, it needs to become part of the way that they think. And it would be, from a law firm perspective, you know, having a more coherent curriculum that um, infuses some of these principles into everyday teaching, right? You know, if you're thinking about property, a property course, and you're thinking about how to think about this from the client's perspective and what problem might you be solving through this and how could you solve it beyond just using your brain, what kind of people, what kind of expertise they need, it would prepare them, I think, a lot better for um, coming out into the real world and solving the real client problems. Yeah, I think, you know, it's interesting because uh, even where at schools we're getting a sense, we're we're doing some of this, there's still maybe a sense for some uh, that, well, first of all, that maybe students at top schools don't need this and we're seeing that start to change. But even then that, well, not all attorneys will need to have this. I mean, my sense is that we're going to see need to see all attorneys have some understanding across the space, and then there are opportunities for others who can really develop greater and greater expertise. I, I don't know. Is that consistent? Maybe with some of what you're seeing, or yeah, I totally agree with that. I mean, look, I you know I'm a lawyer by background, and I loved complex legal issues. I loved taking them apart. Um, I litigated um, during the you know, wave of challenges to arbitration clauses with class actions, you know, that went all the way up to the Supreme Court. Um, I litigated a lot of those cases, you know, underneath. And I love piecing apart legal principles. And so I'm not saying that that skill set is no longer relevant. Of course, complex advisory work and complex, you know, analytical ability is going to be always relevant. But I think now about, Sometimes it's easy to lose the ultimate goal, which is, you know, to be focused on what what is the client's problem and how do we solve it? How do we mitigate, you know, this so it doesn't happen the next time around? Um, how can we use data and technology to to foreshadow the new type of consumer claim um, that's going to hit the company, you know, or whatever it is? Even on an access to justice level, you know, we. We as lawyers have an obligation to be, you know, thinking about um, constantly iterating how we're delivering legal services and how we're advising our clients and, you know, again, you know, how we're improving society um, from the access to justice standpoint. So I, I think it's really important. Yeah. I, I, well, I tend to agree definitely on all those points. Well, you know, Katie, I also want to get your 
input on thinking about legal technology and where we're really going with artificial intelligence. Uh, but before we continue our, our interview with Katie DeBoard, we're going to take a quick break to hear a message from our sponsor. Thomson Reuters Westlaw Edge is the most intelligent legal research platform ever. Powered by state-of-the-art artificial intelligence, Westlaw Edge delivers the fastest answers and the most valuable insights, providing you with a clear strategic advantage. The advanced features on Westlaw Edge allow legal professionals to practice with a greater degree of certainty and confidence never before available. Visit westlawedge.com to learn more. And we're back. Thank you for joining us. We're with Katie DeBoard, the Global Chief Innovation Officer at Brian Cave, Layton, and Paisner. So, Katie, we were we've been talking about innovation, and you and I have talking before. Uh, we've spoken before a little bit about artificial intelligence and where it's going, and you know there've been maybe some misstarts where uh, some technologies were a bit overhyped, but you know I think we're both kind of tend to agree that. Uh, AI is going to have a bigger impact than maybe a lot of people understand in the practice of law. I mean, how are you taking that kind of into consideration on, and not to put words in your mouth, you tell us, I mean, how are you taking that into consideration in the work you're doing uh, at Brian Cave? Yeah, no, I, I agree. I mean, I think, I think you need to be careful to not create tech fatigue, right, among attorneys, because they're busy. Again, they're in the trenches, you know, doing what they do and overhyping technology and, you know, creating skepticism in them is not what we want to do. What they understand, what our attorneys, I think, really do understand, partly because of, um, you know, the conversations with the innovation team and, you know, realistic conversations about where AI is heading is that, we are in a data world, right? Um, and they can see their clients using data. They can see data as an incredibly valuable commodity. And they understand that artificial intelligence, machine learning is real. It's just as technology-assisted review profoundly changed the world of litigators, you know, 10 years ago, however long it was ago now, you know, AI um, is and will change how we are able to synthesize information, how we're able to start seeing patterns that we may have not seen, you know, before, um, how we're able to use data to give clients a better ability to make data-driven decisions. Um, and so I certainly think that while sometimes it's dangerous to use the word artificial intelligence if you put it in the right context, um, people get it. And, you know, our firm's goal is to, number one, understand what artificial intelligence does and does not do, right, both the rules-based and, you know, statistic-based AI, and two, to get us into a position within the firm um, so that we have our data, you know, organized in a way that we can, you know, effectively use AI. And number three, make sure our attorneys understand what these tools look like today and what they are going to look like tomorrow and why it's important. It goes, I mean, these conversations with our attorneys go all the way to, to knowledge management and explaining to them, it's important for you to have good 
pay-in practices because this is how you're going to be able to do cool stuff. And they get that. Yeah, I'd, I'd really like to try to get more people excited about how to use innovation and technology, be more proactive and think about, you know, well, you mentioned access to law, access to justice. I yep. think there's huge gains that can be made in that space if we leverage technology. But it, but inside the law firm, I, like, I think back to when I was at Honigman, a partner at Honigman trying to keep building a book of business and a tool like LegalMation, for example, as a litigator, a tool I could use to feed in a complaint and have it automatically generate an answer uh, in discovery requests and thinking about, you know, why aren't more law firms being a bit more proactive in adopting technology like that? Why is it more? It does seem like the corporate legal departments are are the ones more so. There are a couple law firms getting on board now, but um, you now how do we get more practicing lawyers and firms excited about being proactive and using these tools, you know, not seeing it as a race to the bottom, but an opportunity to improve their practice, improve the quality of their practice, get better outcomes, generate greater value and build more profitable books of business. We have a lot of partners in this space who get it and are excited. And what they get excited about is being able to deliver more for their clients faster they're excited that they're able to say yes um, when their clients ask them if they can do a certain thing in 72 hours. You know, it gives them a different ability to, you know, be that full service partner um, to their clients. And once they get that, once they get that the augmentation of technology to their practice allows them to really deliver on what their clients are needing, um, they get excited about it. Yeah. And, um, you know, so there are uh, a growing number of tools out there. One of the things I hear folks like you grappling with is, well, do we buy tools? Do we buy point solutions that are available? Yeah. Do we need to, what do we need to develop in house? You know, how do we decide what there, there's so many shiny toys out there in directions that go, how do we get focused and how do we decide whether we build or buy in this uh, data analytics, machine learning, artificial intelligence world? Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, for us, it's, you know, a question of where we want to be, you know, create scalability from a strategic level. You know, when you can create, um, you know, scalable solutions, even for a specific industry, you know, it gives you the ability to learn from those solutions, to iterate and to do more with them and provide more back to your clients. I am not a huge fan of point solutions just for the sake of saying that we've brought them in. You know, I'm always, you know, my first question with any new software company is, what does your API look like and um, can you integrate and how good of a partner will you be with, you know, being flexible with doing new things with your technology? You know, we also have our own in-house developer team. That's our R&D, you know, group, our skunk works. And we do believe that some stuff we, we do need to build our, ourselves. And that's mostly because we need to have um, the flexibility to configure quickly or to customize quickly. And we don't have that same flexibility when it's a third-party software. 
Katie, I want to go back too to something else that you said, and I think this relates to getting lawyers and law students and, and uh, law faculty, others engaged. And I think sometimes we have this disconnect between some of the things you're talking about earlier, like project management, process improvement, data analytics. We tend to think of it as back office things, but I think we're seeing more and more now that these disciplines, they help make people better lawyers. They go to the core of, of solving legal problems and, and, and delivering better quality, better outcomes on the substantive legal parts of, of what we're doing. I mean, would you agree with that? Totally. I mean, you know, we've had many clients say one of them on a, a PLI, CLE, uh, that having people with the legal operations expertise or the process expertise you know, is absolutely critical. And it has, um, you know, in, in a few instances, we've had clients say this, this is why you've won the work is because you had people at the table who speak our language and who really get it. You know, our process improvement team, um, they are commonly, um, sitting at the table with clients. Um, I think that the reality and when they see these interactions between, these multidisciplinary teams and the clients, the lawyers really do get it that the practice of law is becoming multidisciplinary, that the way that we achieve value is by applying the collective legal operations process and technical expertise with the legal expertise um, to really ideate the best solution for the client, the best way to engage the client maybe even issue spot ways we can help the client that the client hasn't thought of. Yeah. You know, I want to shift gears just a little bit and talk about the evolving legal ecosystem. And when we're in law firms, we tend to only look to other law firms as our competitors. And, and we've really seen the landscape start to change. I mean, what do you think, where should we be looking as the most likely sources of competition that ought to, that we ought to be thinking about in, in, in looking outside from law firms? What I tell people is that, you know, that areas of competition are the clients themselves um, who are, if we don't innovate, they will. <laughs> um, the big four, obviously, um, more so in Europe, but, you know, I wouldn't say that, you know, that's going to stay that way forever. Um, the LPOs like United Lex, Elevate, you know, and obviously to some extent, the technology providers, but I think I would consider not consider them direct competition, but they're certainly, you know, taking away some market share. The one unique factor about law firms is that we do have this, the expertise. We have the com complex advisory capabilities that none of those other entities have across the range of legal issues. So, you know, as law firms, what we need to do is understand how our clients need their legal services to be delivered, understand why, you know, if they're breaking apart matters, sending some to law firms, some to, you know, an LPO, understand why that is instead of brushing it off as work that the law firm, you know, doesn't want to do. And really recognize that, um, you know, as a law firm, we have an opportunity to be a full service partner to our clients if we do it right. What about inside of the, the law firms getting more lawyers engaged in innovation? One of the challenges frequently seems to be the misalignment of incentives where 
at the end of the year when compensation is determined, it's all about billable hours and revenue generation. And I mean, we're seeing some firms now give credit for time spent on innovation. And then there's always a question of whether that was actually credited when the computation was undertaken. But um, how do you, inside of law firms, try to drive for better alignment between the behavior say you want, your lawyers innovating, and the, the way you compensate them or the other incentive structures in place? Yeah, I mean, that's a, that's a really complex problem and something that I think must be solved. The incentive structure has to be aligned. You're absolutely right about that. And, you know, the, the smart law firms out there are thinking about that. Um, you know, I also think that, I mean, it's certainly important to give people credit for innovation. We do that at BCLP. But I think even more important than that is just that information sharing component, you know, getting law firm, you know, attorneys and partners aware of the opportunities that they have, you know, aware of, you know, what, what the clients, what the, what the GCs are saying and giving them the ability to address it, you know, to giving them talking points to speak with their clients in a way that they're, they're confident, you know, right before this podcast, I was reading an article that Jayum posted and she, she was essentially saying, you know, partners aren't adversarial to legal innovation. They're just not at the table. They're busy in the trenches, you know, fighting for their clients. And I think that's absolutely right. And so I think, you know, no doubt incentive alignment is important, but equally important is just, you know, figuring out ways to have conversations with partners that give them tools to behave differently, to work with their clients differently, and to make different kinds of offerings. To what extent do you think that, I mean, are you seeing a difference in the attorneys that you hire who have had some training in legal innovation technology? I mean, you've spoken to my classes at the University of Michigan, at Michigan State, at Northwestern here. I mean, do you think, because part of the culture problem seems to be that, I mean, that starts in, in law school. And so if you don't have an appreciation, I mean, if you don't have, if you don't understand leadership and management and this idea of like the, you know, the problem of always being focused on just the, you know, the, the seemingly important urgent stuff in front of you today and not being able to see the bigger picture, it's, it seems like it's hard to maybe cause that mindset shift later on inside of the law firms. I mean, to what extent do we, is it really the law schools that need to make change and make a contribution here? Yeah, I mean, I, I do see, I would say the most profound difference I see is partners who come from some sort of background that's given them, you know, an understanding of process engineering. Sometimes that's technical, sometimes it's not. Um, but I definitely see a trend of the partners who I would say are the most have the most ingenuity in terms of their practice and how they're thinking about their comfort level with iterating the way that they practice. I think that it absolutely starts with law schools, no doubt about it. And if they start teaching that iterating how you practice, iterating how you're solving your client's problems is part of being a lawyer. That's, that's one of the, core foundational skill sets of being a lawyer is constantly rethinking 
how you are actually delivering your services to your client, whoever your client is, that would take us a long way. What other disciplines, competencies do you think are important to have, whether we're teaching them in, in law school or whether you're teaching them as kind of like part of your, your training program, specifically around innovation and, and leveraging technology as the lawyer? You know, I mean, it sounds really simple, but having the, you know, that mental check-in of, you know, what's happening within your client's business. What are your client's objectives? Do you know what your client's objectives are? If you don't, go have a conversation with your clients about their objectives. You know, that kind of client-centric mindset, I think sometimes, especially for associates, not as much as partners, you know, when you're, again, when you're kind of in the trenches, it's easy to lose track of of the client. Um, and that's one of the main things that we try to teach at the BCBA is even as associates, focus on those clients. You know, think about what they need. What is their ultimate goal? It's to make money, typically, you know. And, you know, what is the legal department's ultimate goal? To help the business make money. You know, what am I seeing? What are areas of improvement that I could recommend to my client to help them achieve their goals? How can I have conversations with them about, you know, what their goals are so that I can be a more meaningful contributor, you know, to their business objectives. I don't know if that's like a background that you can teach, but I suspect it is. I mean, I suspect that law schools could figure out a way to kind of reboot in some ways law students to say, okay, let's remember at the end of the day, no matter where you go to practice, you know, even if you're a professor, I would submit, you know, you have to remember your client's objectives. Yeah. What about like you've a couple of my classes that you've come to, we're building expert systems. You spoke at my Northwestern class last semester, AI and legal reasoning and demystifying AI, building expert systems. Do you think, I mean, you talked about building expert systems at Brian Cave. I mean, is that something if, if lawyers have an understanding of that? I mean, is that do you think that's a valuable skill set to have? Yeah. And, you know, part of Yes, I do. And part of the reason why is because lawyers, you can, once you know that something like that exists and how you might use it and how a client might benefit from it, you can issue spot opportunities, right? So if you're familiar with the tool, if you've worked with the tool, you can, you know, down the line, identify more opportunities to, use a tool. If you don't know it, you can't issue spot, you know, the opportunities for it. Just like if you don't know a certain area of the law, you're not going to be able to issue spot problems, you know, pertaining to that area of law. So there's no doubt that having exposure to um, legal technology that you can use to stitch together, you know, a complete solution is important. Just like having background and process improvement knowing when a process of engineer would be useful is part is half the battle. Well, we're getting close to wrapping up here, Katie, but I wanted to ask you, you and I have spoken a little bit about, and there's been a fair amount of attention as there should be about lawyers, lack of uh, work-life balance frequently and, and episodes of uh, depression, suicide, alcoholism in, in the profession, uh, lack of gender diversity, lack of other types of diversity, 
And, you know, spotting this kind of like overarching problem, but maybe not enough analysis of what's causing that. And, you know, and I think we're in, in some agreement maybe around the opportunities for thinking about innovation and process improvement, project management, things like that being something that can help us solve in some of those areas. I mean, what, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, it's a big question and a big problem and a sad problem. And, you know, one of the things that process improvement and project management and, frankly, technology helps us do is that it helps make, make our lives easier. It helps us feel more in control of what is happening. It helps us understand the steps that we're taking. It helps us identify problems before you know, they arise or it, you know, it helps us make adjustments to course adjustments. If, if we're down, going down the wrong track, it forces us to do check-ins um, when sometimes we just go into avoidance mode. Um, and I think all of that, you know, that feeling of, of getting control and putting in measures to kind of prevent avoidance is part of you know, the possibilities around um, mental health in the legal profession and how the process and tech can help people feel more in control. I don't know. I don't know. I don't think that's the only answer, but it's, but it's certainly an interesting question. And it's, it's an interesting proposition that could process improvement and project management improve the lives and work-life balance for lawyers, you know, my bet is yes. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think part of it is too, is what we learn. So it's applying these disciplines directly, but it's also in solving those problems, but then using these disciplines in the process of solving these problems uh, in a methodical sort of problem solving way, which it seems like a lot of times we don't kind of get to that stage in, in discussing the problem. Yes, I absolutely agree. It's, it's an interesting one. Well, Katie, thank you very much for joining us today. And uh, can you just let our listeners please know how they could contact you? Yes. Um, and Dan, thank you for having me. It was fun. So you can contact me either at katie.deboard at bclplaw.com or 303-866-0337. And you're also on Twitter, Katie? I am also on Twitter at Debord Katie. Yes, as every legal innovator should be. All right. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks again, Katie. It was really, really great to have you as a guest today. I appreciate you spending time with us. This has been another edition of Law Technology Now on the Legal Talk Network. If you like what you heard today, please rate us in Apple Podcasts. Join us next time for another edition of Law Technology Now. I'm Dan Linna, signing off. If you'd like more information about what you've heard today, please visit LegalTalkNetwork.com. Subscribe via iTunes and RSS. Find us on Twitter and Facebook. Or download our free Legal Talk Network app in Google Play and iTunes. The views expressed by the participants of this program are their own and do not represent the views of, nor are they endorsed by, Legal Talk Network, its officers, directors, employees, agents, representatives, shareholders, and subsidiaries. None of the content should be considered legal advice. As always, consult a lawyer.